0: Welcome, everybody, to Between the Lines, the podcast from the Louis Jacobs Foundation. And it's wonderful to be joined today by Rabbi Dina Rosenberg. Rabbi Rosenberg is the rabbi of the CSI community in Westchester. She gained her smicha from JTS and has been rabbi of a number of uh, communities um, and also involved in interfaith work um, in the States and is a passionate teacher of Torah. I came to know her through some of her fantastic safaria sheets, source sheets, and look forward very much today as we conclude the Joseph story with our focus on this week's Parsha Vahi to, to focus on, I suppose, really the lie that the brothers tell, if maybe we start with that, Really, what's the reason for the brothers' lie to Joseph following the death of Jacob, their father?
1: First, thank you for inviting me to share some words of Torah with you. And I think where we are in our Persia is at first, when Joseph finds out that his brothers are there. The first thing he doesn't, isn't, how are you feeling, brothers? Is, how is my father? Is he still alive? And because of that, the brothers really feel that Joseph's main goal was to reconnect with their father, right? The brothers are the ones who did terrible things to him. It makes sense that as soon as their father dies, their biggest concern is, will Joseph still accept us? Does he still want us to be a part of his life? Or were we just, Joseph needed to go through us in order to get to our father. So now that their father is no longer there, they lie as a way to protect themselves out of fear. And when I think the lie comes from the place of fear and of avoidance, right? They don't have to talk about what happened. If they just remind Joseph, their father, before they died, said, make sure you take care of your brothers and you keep them in your life. Instead, their fear is that Joseph would go and throw them out and say, now that our father is gone, I don't want you either. So I think that's the place of where the lie comes from.
0: Maybe just to focus in, I think that there's a passage in the Talmud from Yevamot. 65b7, which discusses this exact episode and concludes that the sons falsely attribute the statement to Jacob in order to really preserve the peace between them and Joseph. I wonder what you make of that.
1: It's a great question because we have this really important concept in Judaism of shalom Bait of the things we do for the sake of peace with our family, with our larger community. And the question is, when can that be used and when is that just an excuse? And can you lie to add to the Shalom Bayit? So in this case, the brothers are claiming, or at least what this is stating, that they lied because the idea of Shalom Bayit was so important that they wanted to preserve peace with Joseph. Now, I think in theory, perhaps that could be true. If I'm thinking more about the psychological characters themselves, it seems to me that they don't want to talk to Joseph about the hard stuff. They don't want to say, we did this terrible thing to you. And we know that you were so excited to see Father. But now that he's gone, what is our relationship going to look like? Do you still want us around? Do you want us in your life after we did this terrible thing to you? So, I think we are constantly in the Talmud and in our commentary trying to give support to the characters and help rationalize why they do what they do. I don't know if I really agree that in this Talmudic statement that it was done for the sake of peace, to preserve peace. Or if it was for the sake of peace, was it really necessary or was it an excuse?
0: Maybe we'll leave that just for a second. We might. Come back to it. I wonder really your take on looking at Bereshit through that prism of compromising truth. There are so many episodes in which it feels like truth is compromised. And I just wonder, with that, what episodes for you perhaps come to mind? And is there maybe a commonality between them? And do they shed? Any light on this complex question that we're addressing as to whether or not it's acceptable to lie or or when is it acceptable to lie?
1: So the story that immediately jumps out to me when I hear that question is one that repeats twice. First with Abraham when he is with Sarah and he goes somewhere and pretends or tells the kingdom that Sarah is his sister rather than his wife. And again, the claim is that if they found out that Sarah was his wife, she was so beautiful that they would kill Abraham and then they would take Sarah. And this again plays out later. And what we find is that in each case that one of these lies is made, it doesn't work out well. It's not entirely true. It is not advantageous for the one who is making the lie. Meaning the response we get, even from people who aren't necessarily communities we're at peace with, is why didn't you just tell us the truth in the beginning? Lest God strike down and give us some sort of plague, and we don't even know why we're responsible for the plague, why not tell us the truth from the beginning? And I think that connects back to this because what could have happened if the brothers had told the truth from the beginning, that they were feel- fearful about their relationship with Joseph because of their actions? So I don't think we have so many great examples of lie when someone lies and it really being perceived in the long run as a good thing.
0: Yeah, it feels like there there are a lot in the lives of our ancestors. Jacob's deceiving his father, I guess, even the Akedah in a way. But certainly in the lives of, of, of Avraham, Yitzhak, and with Yaakov, we encounter their many deceptions. Do you see them as maybe things that they bequeath to us that we in turn need to wrestle with to, to perhaps overcome.
1: There is so much deceit in the book of Brisheet. And I think the other theme that kind of runs in tandem with the concept of deceit then is lack of trust. What we learn is that we shouldn't, the more people are deceitful, the more we learn we shouldn't trust the people around us. And, it, and that's a lesson. They say that perhaps we learn... And we repeat all the things from our ancestors, but perhaps that's something we want to actually break the pattern on because we don't want to keep that deceit. Um, We don't want to pick out favorites. And I think one of the reasons our patriarchs and matriarchs are filled with faults is because we too are filled with faults. And in order for us to learn we need to have matriarchs and patriarchs that are similar enough to us that we can learn too from them. Now, if we look at God and we see God as being infallible, which is debatable, but then how do we connect to God? How do we understand the decisions God makes? But if I can look to Abraham or to Isaac or even to Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, or Leah, any of them, and see that they too have had some of the same challenges that I've had and that I'm going to choose to do something different, then I think we can show that there's been progression in the Israelite and Jewish community, because we're not repeating the same mistakes just because they've always been done that way.
0: I think there's a passage in the Talmud from Ketubot 17a, detailing an exchange between Hillel and Shammai on just how one should praise a bride. And I wonder if you might expand on that a little and... Mm -hmm. Share what light you think it throws on this discussion around truth and the difference, perhaps, between lying by omission and outright lying.
1: Sure. I love this text because I think it is real. And basically what happens is Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai are debating. When you see a bride on their wedding day, what should you say to the bride? Most of us would assume, just without knowing the bride, that you'd say, oh, how beautiful you look, how wonderful you are. But Beit Hillel and Shammai debate and say, what if that's not really the case? It's the wedding day, but do you lie and say all those wonderful things? And here's the debate. Beit Shammai says that what if the bride doesn't look attractive? He says, you don't want to lie, right? We're told that we shouldn't say things that are false. And you just... You shouldn't say those things. Hillel says, No, not only should you say that they're lovely, you should expand that and make it seem so much better that they're not, that they are praise them beyond their value. That's the debate. So then they go back and forth. And Shami says, You know what? Maybe you don't lie, but you just lie by omission. So you find something else within them that you can praise. So maybe you don't say you look so beautiful. Maybe you say, I really love the shoes you're wearing. (laughs) You change it up a little so you can take a piece of them. So you're not lying. You're lying perhaps by omission. But the truth is you're still giving praise based on some form of truth. And isn't that better than speaking blatant falsehood? Now Hillel actually talks about how the truth of the matter is on someone's wedding day, They are beautiful. It doesn't have to be their physical appearance. It could be their spiritual appearance. It could be their soul that is lit up because something beautiful and wonderful is happening to them. So there is no lie in this. You just have to look deeper. And what this makes me think about in the real world is often there's someone you might not get along with. And one of the best pieces of advice I've heard is that when you're meeting with someone that you don't get along with, Rather than be filled with angst, you look at that person and try to find at least one thing you do, one thing you can praise about that individual. And that changes the whole nature of the relationship. And so here we're saying, is there a difference between lying or lying by omission? And our ancestors would say, (laughs) yes-ish, right? There's never quite yes or no when it comes to Talmud. You have... This idea that you should make sure that what comes out of your mouth is true and you need to learn how to have tact in the world. Lying by omission could also be thought of as telling a different version of the truth, I think is another way to look at it. So when you say your shoes are beautiful, you are not saying you look your hair looks beautiful, but you're still acknowledging a part of that human that has value. And in that case, you're telling a different version of the truth. So if we bring it back to the story of the brothers, are they lying by omission or are they just outright lying? The reality is they're outright lying. That letter, that message from their father, as far as we know, never existed. Were there other things they could have said instead was there a lie by omission they could have made could they have said something like i imagine father wanted to make sure that we were always in touch with each other and that we had a relationship that we continued to build on that's you're not saying father said it jacob didn't say it but it it, it could have been a conversation so i think the the biggest problem we get with what the brothers did is that they skip to the conversation. And as we all know, relationships with one another are built on conversations and built on trust. And if the very first thing you do is act out of fear, that does not garner trust in a relationship. And just like with the bride, you are in relationship with that bride. So you find a way to speak your truth and not lie.
0: I want to jump just on this point because it's prompted me to think about something which I was investigating the other day called I think it's the Mandela complex this notion that people I think it's the Mandela complex that people remember Nelson Mandela's funeral from 1980 when everyone of course knows that it didn't happen but the number of people that say that they remember it is quite extraordinary. You made me think of it by in in relation to, I guess, the interpretation of truth, which is very loose, like from the brothers. And I, I guess it feels almost like it's a midrash already within the Torah itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder your thoughts on that.
1: So much of what we remember is our own inaccurate version of reality, which is what you're describing. And that we only, what we, okay, so I'm going to answer this differently here. One of the things that comes out of this is why doesn't the Torah tell us not to lie? And I think it's for that exact reason. It's that we all have our own version of truth. And to say, if we are commanded not to lie, how would anyone be able to determine, for the most part, what is a lie and what is truth? It's if you ask five people who are in the same room what happened, you're going to get seven different answers, depending on when you're asking them what happened. And truth is a really hard thing to understand, and I think that's what we're seeing in our world right now. Is that is there a such thing as capital T truth or is everyone's opinion a version of truth? And is Torah telling us that's okay? If we're allowed to lie for the sake of peace, is that a new version of truth? And then what is the slippery slope? Where can that end? Can anyone make any statement and claim it to be true or claim actual truth to be false? So I would say that idea would get us into a slippery slope. And so Judaism only has a certain, we have a certain number of things that you're allowed, you're given permission to change the truth. They don't call it a lie. If you look at the Hebrew, it's changing the truth. So in order to practice humility, in order to maintain modesty, or to keep someone from embarrassment. But the one I think that Is most meaningful to me is that if someone has an incurable illness, and actually informing them of the illness is going to be detrimental to their health, Judaism actually teaches that you're allowed to omit the truth. So there are some moments where it seems appropriate, and whether that's for shalom bayit or that's because of pikuach nefesh of saving one's soul, saving someone's life, when we make choices between telling the truth, omitting information or lying, we have to think about, I think that slippery slope is where could this lead to? If we take everything at face value and assume everyone is speaking truth and yet lies are filling in the holes, what does that say about our society and our values and what we wanna teach in the world?
0: Thank you for that fantastic reflection just actually to correct myself i think it's the mandela effect that i was that i was referring to a little bit earlier and just following your recent train of thought maybe just bringing it to completion then it's interesting to note that there is really no biblical prohibition against lying I guess the ninth commandment against bearing false witness comes close. There's plenty of passages which encourage truthfulness and the discouragement of deception, but no biblical prohibition against lying. And I wonder really what you make of that.
1: The Torah is filled with so many laws, as it is, that are hard to follow, that are challenging. That I think, again and again, we are given opportunities to learn not just from halacha, from the law, but also agadah, from the stories. And what we learn from the stories are the repercussions of lying. And God reminds us again and again that the things we say from our mouth matter. I'm reminded of each time we speak, we uh, do the amidah, the standing prayer. We begin with a statement about asking God to hear the words in our mouth with, to open our mouths to hear our words. And the question is, why do we ask God to open my mouth to hear the words from our lips? And it's to remind us that we're given two ears to listen with and one mouth to speak with. We should hear more than we speak. And the words that come of it are out of our mouth need to be filled with love and remember that God is a part of the words we speak. To have a statement about if we had some type of law about not lying, how often would each of us be transgressing that law? And is that something that we really want in our hands? I'd like to think some of them are pretty obvious. Do not murder. That's a a, black and white line. We see what we do. We know what we're not doing. Do not steal. We know if we're taking something from someone else or even coveting. But to lie is often in the eye of the beholder or in the eye of the receiver. And I don't think God wanted to give us a halacha, a law that we would be transgressing again and again. Instead, how much more meaningful to have it be Agatha and to have it learn from the stories and learn the repercussions and then learn how to be better next time.
0: Sounds sounds good. Sounds like a good journey to be on.
1: It is. <laughs> One I'm grateful for.
0: <laughs> Rabbi Rosenberg, thank you so much for joining us today, for exploring the brother's deception, and, uh, sparking all sorts of other trains of thought as well. Thank you everyone for listening and if you enjoyed this podcast too, do please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more information about all of our work at our site louisjacobs.org and jewishquest.org. Do tune in again next week as we continue the quest together and dive in to the book of Shemot. Thank you.